Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Five persons, including actress Sharon Tate, were found dead at the home of Miss Tate and her husband, screen director Roman Polyansky. The whole thing is very, Tate, very mysterious, but this is what I know. Authorities say a menacing letter received yesterday by a Vallejo newspaper was not sent by the infamous Zodiac Killer. That Area 51, the secret Air Force base in Nevada, actually exists. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. He's been called the East Side Rapist. He's been called the Visalia Ransacker. The original Night Stalker. And the Golden State Killer. You have now entered into the house of mystery, the best in true crime, conspiracy, and alternative history, with Al Warren and Kevin Thompson. KCAA, the stations that leave no listener behind. Broadcasting on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM. The trifecta of talk radio for Southern California. Welcome back into the House Mystery, and today we're going to be talking about Zodiac Killer. It's a new killing that just happened. Um, and joining is uh, Mike Morford and Mike Butterfield. How are you doing tonight? Doing great. Okay. Now, we're, well, let's talk about the Sherry Jo Bates case. Did Zodiac kill her or not? Well, that's an easy question, Mike. Do you want to take that one? <laughs> Yeah, that depends on who you ask. Um, you know, the Sherry Joe Bates segment of the Zodiac mystery is is a really interesting one because, you know, her murder happened, you know, six hours south um, of San Francisco in Riverside, California, and it happened in 1966 before there ever was a Zodiac killer. Um, and... You know, her murder is is a little bit different than than most of the murders that Zodiac did. You know, with the exception of of Berryessa, where he he used a knife and she was killed by a knife, stabbed and almost decapitated. Um, but what's really interesting about her her case is there was a series of letters after her murder that you know were linked later on by the state's top handwriting expert Sherwood Morrill. Um, very respected, 
handwriting analysis guy in his field, and he linked those that writing to uh, Zodiac later on. Um, and just in looking at the at the language of the letters, you know, that were sent in the Sherry Joe Bates case, you know, there's some common words, common phrases, and and odd words, you know, like twitch, squirm, you know, shall. Um, just words that most people don't use very frequently, uh, and some of them are misspelled the same way. Uh, and when you take that and you couple it with the the fact that that letter writer wanted to take credit, wanted to be published in the paper, the language, the the patterns fit, you know, what Zodiac did uh, later on. Um, you know, so when you combine all that, you combine the the desktop writing that was also linked um, inside the Riverside uh, College Library. Um, I think you take that as a whole, and, and it tells me, uh, and you know, most of the you know the investigators that Zodiac wrote letters in her case, uh, wrote the desktop poem that was discovered. That doesn't mean that he killed her. Um, but it means that he may have taken credit for her murder regardless, um, which is an important clue because then you can shout, you can look at different suspects and say, if this really is his writing, who's in that area that could have wrote these letters? And, um, you know, so it's still debatable. Some people, you know, still say, well, there's no way he wrote those letters or some people think he killed, you know, killed Sherry but didn't write the letters. Other people think he wrote the letters but didn't kill her. Um, so there's, there's a lot of debate. And, you know, I think Mike can also touch on some of that as well. Well, I think, you know, for the listeners, you know, Sherry Jo Bates was killed on October 30th, 1966. And about a month later is when the uh, typewritten confession arrived. Is, uh, am I right about that, Mike? Yeah. Um, and that was typed in all of the envelope had handwriting on it. Um, it was typed, and there were words inside that message that were misspelled the same way that uh, those letters, those words were misspelled in Zodiac letters. Um, then, about six months later, there were three virtually identical handwritten letters sent to the police, to the newspaper, and to the victim's father, which read, Bates had to die, there will be more. And at the bottom of that letter there was a little symbol that resembled the letter Z. So that's part of what's fueling a lot of this speculation, in addition to, as Mike mentioned, a message, a poem, that was found written on a desktop in the Riverside City College Library, which is near where Bates was killed and where she was believed to have been the night that she was killed. Um, so these three uh, different writings are what handwriting experts have looked at and determined, uh, at least as far as I know, there were at least two experts who agreed that the Zodiac had written those messages. Now, whether or not he was responsible for killing Bates or not, we don't know, but the messages themselves are sort of a, a, a link in a way that could um, indicate that the same person was involved, or at the very least that the Zodiac was inspired by the Bates case, which... Uh, if I remember correctly, the Bates case was in a couple of true crime detective magazines at that time, and there was a, a copy of the confession letter in there and mention of the other writings. And the three virtually identical handwritten letters sent in the Bates case is 
very similar to the three virtually identical handwritten letters sent at the very beginning of the Zodiac episode a few years later in the Bay Area. So there are legitimate reasons to wonder whether or not the Zodiac was involved. Some of them are based on these expert opinions. And in my case, I think that some of the behavior of the person who killed Bates is similar to the Zodiac's methods. But at the same time, the Zodiac in March of 1971 sent a letter to the Los Angeles Times. And this was in response to speculation that he was responsible for the Bates murder. And he said, I do have to give them credit for stumbling across my Riverside activity, but they're only finding the easy ones. There are a hell of a lot more of them down there. And down there was perceived as a reference to Southern California and that there might be more victims. So the Zodiac may have been bragging and taking responsibility for something that he actually did. The Zodiac may have been lying and taking responsibility for something that he actually did, or he may have, or that he didn't do, or he may have just been taking responsibility for the murder and the letters and had nothing to do with it whatsoever. I lean towards the idea that the Zodiac may have been involved, but like everything else, when it comes to any suspect in a crime, I, I just want them to find who did it. So I don't really care whether it was Zodiac or someone else. I just think the evidence indicates that it was Zodiac, and then maybe Mike can talk a little bit about why that has turned out to be the fallback uh, scenario because the Riverside police have been pursuing a particular suspect for years, a man they claimed knew Sherry Jo Bates and murdered her. And then the DNA that was found at the crime scene in the victim's hand, which I believe con consisted of hair and some skin tissue, did not match their suspect. So now we have a scenario where the only evidence available does not match the only suspect the Riverside Police has had, and that leaves us to look for a different suspect now. And I think the Zodiac is the most logical suspect, although it's possible that he had nothing to do with it. Yeah, and, and you referenced the DNA. Uh, you know, there were two sources of DNA, I think, that they, they collected. Um, one was the hair, and I don't have my notes in front of me. I haven't looked at them in a while, but the other source was a cigarette butt um yeah, yeah. and, and i i can see the notes i haven't looked at them in a while but i can visualize them that they they uh looked at that cigarette butt as well and i can't remember if both samples didn't match uh their suspect um but despite the dna not matching they still felt this guy was the most likely suspect um and he was a classmate of hers that you know they found or suspected that he had been seeing her and she broke it off with him and he killed her out of, uh, out of, uh, revenge or anger from being, uh, you know, kicked to the curb, so to speak. But, um, the, the interesting layer comes when that confession letter comes a, a month after the murder because the person's giving details in it of what happened and how they disabled her car. And then the Riverside Police Department comes out and says, well, that killer had to be the one that wrote the letter because there's things in there that only the killer would know, which we know is totally incorrect because we found articles, you know, a bunch of us have, have found articles that were posted only a day or so after the, the murder that described how the car was disabled. Um, so anybody reading those news articles would have known how the car was disabled and could easily write a confession letter 
with details of what they did because it was in the in the news articles. So the other question of why would they do that? If you know, why would somebody write a false confession? But at the same time, the confession itself, you're talking about the police investigating a man who allegedly knew the victim. And in the confession, it claims to have been written by someone who knew her, someone who had been brushed off by her. And while you could interpret that as being, you know, a reference to his particular situation of being dumped by her or whatever, the letter seems to indicate that this was somebody more who had um, been watching her from afar or who had some contact with her but was not involved with her. And so I've always kind of gone back and forth between whether or not I believe that that letter is actually written by the killer, whether it contains details that indicate it was written by the killer, and then whether or not what he's telling in that letter is true. Did, did he really know her? And why would a person who killed her, why would a person who knew her implicate someone who knew her in the crime when at the same time it would seem to make more sense that a, a stranger who killed her and didn't want police investigating a stranger might try to implicate someone she knew. And, so, and at the flip side of the coin, the same aspect, why would a stranger need to deflect attention away from himself anyway because he's a stranger, he's not going to be yeah. thought of. So that's And this raises all the weird questions about why would a stranger, because you, you referred to the her car being disabled. It appeared that someone had disabled her car while she was in the library or somewhere on campus. And then when she came back and it didn't start, according to the letter, he offered her a ride. She accepted when they were walking away is when he had attacked her. Well, why would someone who knew her need to invent this ruse to get her attention? Why couldn't he just walk up and start talking to her? And if he really was trying to get her into his car, how come they never made it to the car? You know, there's all all these other questions that go back and forth between making it look like a stranger was involved or making it look like someone who knew her. And I, I lean towards the stranger idea, but obviously I would accept whatever the, the truth was, whatever the facts indicate. Um, but when it comes to the suspect that the Riverside Police has been pursuing, I, I, I guess it's perfectly possible it's been done before in other cases where he might have written that confession letter to deflect attention away from himself towards someone who was a distant admirer or someone else. But I think that it's more likely that maybe that letter could just be a blend of fact or fiction, but then it also raises the possibility of if some of it's true, did he really know her? And that's where the interesting issues come up with other suspects that have been looked at in the Riverside case and their possible relationship to Zodiac. Yeah, and and with the letters, you know, to me, there's no benefit for, you know, a stranger or somebody that knew her to write that letter. That's you know, it, So it, to me, it almost seems as if it's somebody that has nothing to do with the case at all with, without having anything to do with the murder, um, you know, which makes us look at other people that, that might not have m- murdered her but went on to become the Zodiac. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can start looking at, you know, suspects based on that. Um, and it's, it's not just that. It also goes back to that, that handwriting analysis, because although the, the letter was typed, the confessional letter was typed, the, uh, envelope wasn't. And, you know, the other letters that came weren't as well. They were printed, um, they were written in pencil. 
Yeah, and so and they try to disguise their handwriting, uh, but you know, to a handwriting expert, there's certain things that they can still spot, um, and that writing as well as the desktop writing uh, were all linked to Zodiac. So if, if we take the expert's word on it, um, you know, we we can tell that Zodiac was in that area um, during that 66 to 67 time frame. Um, so we start looking at suspects in that area and start possibly eliminating suspects from, you know, Northern California that were popular uh, that can't be placed in there. Um, and, you know, if you look at, you know, people that support Arthur Lee Allen or, you know, Mr. X, uh, you know, as he's been referred to, their supporters have tried to link them to Riverside saying they went down to races down there, to some of the car races down there just to try and put them into the mix for, for being responsible for the Riverside uh, activity. Um, to me, that's a stretch, but um, nonetheless, there's people that try and link that. Because if, you know, if Zodiac wrote those letters and he was in there, you know, in that area 66 to 67, we can take a lot of uh, suspects off the table. Because if they can't be placed in Riverside, then they wouldn't be Zodiac, and that opens up a smaller window of, of suspects. Yeah, I think, too, it's important to remember that the Riverside Police Department has had their pet suspect for years, and a lot of people seem to think that the idea that the Zodiac was responsible for this came from reporter Paul Avery, who wrote an article in, I believe, November 1970, uh, releasing or announcing the possible link between the Riverside case and Zodiac, when in reality, the people who started this all in the first place were the Riverside Police Department. They, When they saw what was happening with Zodiac in the news, they sent a letter to, the, the, to Zodiac investigators basically saying, look, there are similarities between these two cases and it's possible the same person could be involved. And so investigators looked into that possibility and it was the people inv investigating the Zodiac case and the Riverside Police Department who concluded that it was most likely the Zodiac, whether he'd just written the letters or committed the murder or whatever. Um, but it was after that when the Riverside Police Department decided that it was just their lone suspect and it had nothing to do with Zodiac. So that's where things have stood for years. So when you talk about, you know, comparing a Zodiac suspect to where he was in Riverside at the time, things like that. A lot of people don't believe that the crimes are connected, so they don't look at it that way. But um, there's good reason to wonder whether or not Zodiac was involved. It's not just the invention of some journalist. Yeah, and the interesting backstory to that, to the Riverside's reaching out at all to Zodiac investigators is because a, a local man down in that area named Phil, Phil Sins um, was a you know an original armchair detective, and he sort of said there's a lot of commonality between the the Zodiac letters and these Bates case letters that we had here back in 1966. And he sort of reached out to the Riverside police uh, more than a few times and um, said, hey, I think you should look at this Bates case letters as being possibly from written by Zodiac. Because um, he saw some of those same things, same use of words, uh, uh, misspellings, stuff like that, wanting to be published in the paper. He said, this sounds just like Zodiac. So it was his urging that finally got the Riverside police to to reach out, even though they had their own favorite suspect. Um, 
And, you know, lo and behold, you know, handwriting experts say, you know, based on this writing, it was the Zodiac. Um, you know, so it's an important connection. Yeah. And I think a lot of people forget that, you know, when this possible link came up, it wasn't like someone just went, oh, there's some spellings here. It must be the same guy. You know, they actually thought about the crime and how the Riverside case compared to other Zodiac crimes. You know, and in the Riverside case, from what we know and can surmise, it appears that the person disabled her car and then used that as a ruse to gain her trust and take her somewhere to commit the crime. And we know that the Zodiac used a similar ruse um, in San Francisco when he asked a cab driver to take him to a specific location. And we know that at Lake Berryessa, he lied to them about what was going on. He said that I'm just here to rob you, and that's a ruse of a sort too. Um, so there are reasons to believe that the Zodiac's behavior is similar to the behavior of the person who killed Bates. Also in the fact that there's no traditional uh, discernible motive. There's no robbery or rape or sexual assault or any of that. There doesn't appear to be any personal motive, any personal animosity. Um, so we're looking at a similar case in the sense that the Zodiac appears to have killed strangers that he wanted to kill for whatever reason. The fact that certain elements are not the same is not in and of itself enough to dismiss them as being connected because the Zodiac as a killer had to start somewhere, right? I mean, he had to have his first crime. It's possible that, as many experts say, sometimes the, a killer's first crime is somehow connected to him. Could it be somebody that he knew or somebody that was in his environment or someone he had encountered in some way? Um, and then later on, he adapted his methods when he became a more proficient or prolific serial killer and started using an identity called Zodiac and whatever. So the fact that you have a, a, a woman who's a lone woman who's killed a, on a college campus with a knife, the fact that that's different in some ways from his other crimes is not in, indicative that they're not connected. As Mike pointed out, you know, he's using a knife that that's a similarity there, but there's other reasons to look at it as a possible Zodiac crime, not just the fact that he used a knife or whatever, but every serial killer that I know of that I've studied, their first couple crimes are a little different than their later crimes. You know, Ted Bundy started out breaking into women's to the, to a woman's home and hitting her over the head and stuff. And then he eventually evolved into a killer who's walking up to victims on the street Tend to have his arm in a cast or his leg and asking for help and things like that. So serial killers adapt. They adapt. They find ways to get what they want and they to suit their needs, to, to fulfill their fantasies, and their fantasies continue to adapt and change and narrow down in specifics to what they really, uh, what really drives them. So, I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, Mike, but I, I think that I've read enough of what you've written and heard enough of what you said to, to believe that the fact that there's some similarities or, or differences in their these two cases is not indicative of them being committed by two different people. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. There's enough to, to make it think it could go either way. Um, but one interesting point, when Paul Avery made that link and it went public, you know, Zodiac, who loved the limelight, instead of jumping right on that and saying, oh, you got me, you found my victims down in Riverside, he went silent for what was it six months? Yeah, he didn't. He didn't make a peep. 
Um, so and even he, then, it's kind of grudgingly, right? Exactly. So I, I think he was scared. You know, that's the way I take it. If he wanted attention from that connection and he knew he had nothing to do with it, he could just jump right on it, get the attention, and there you go. There's some instant publicity for him, except he went dead quiet. So I think, you know, I think he realized that he had stumbled and they had caught him at least writing the letters, even if he didn't kill her, yeah. which would be a major clue. Hey, they know I was in Riverside. I, I better lay low for a while. That he was Six, vulnerable. That that yeah. made him vulnerable because it was a connection to him. Exactly. So six months later, nobody's knocked on his door. He hasn't gotten arrested, so maybe he feels a little bit more comfortable. And he, you know, he finally writes a letter uh, taking credit for it. Um, so those are all the interesting dynamics going on um, with the Bates case, the letters, and and uh, the mo of the the letter writer. Um, and and then we, you know that's not even going into Riverside when we go into the college library. Um, you know, that's where you really start to see more uh, possibilities. Well, and that's what I was going to ask you. So some people at the library had some theories about who had killed Sherry Joe Bates and they tried to communicate that to investigators and a certain individual came up. Yeah, I mean, that was Ross Sullivan, um, and Ross had worked in the library as, a, as an assistant. He was a student. Um, he had gone to the college for, for several years, but um, one of the students, like, I call him Van Wilder, you know, he, he goes to school for, for several years but never seems to graduate, um, you know, but he's taking all these different courses. He's in and out of a mental hospital, so that's, you know, delays, whatever, time he's supposed to be there um and meanwhile he's he's in the library as an assistant but he's freaking out the library staff you know writing uh creepy poetry um and things of that nature you know they were i think afraid of his mental uh illness he had schizophrenia um so i think some of the behavior he exhibited um made them suspect that he had been responsible for Sherry's murder. Um, it, but it would be two years later till the writing was linked to Zodiac that he becomes uh, even more interesting uh, just based on being in that, in that library. Well, didn't, uh, forgive me if I'm wrong about this, but didn't he, didn't the letter that was written by one of the women who suspected him state that he had disappeared for a short period of time after the Bates murder? Yeah, the the one librarian that, that wrote the letter said that he was always in this same spot uh, at a certain time of day, and um, she said that he always wore the same clothes, and she said that after the murder, he disappeared. He was gone for several days or a couple weeks, whatever it was, and she said if he comes back and he has new clothes on, in her mind, that would make him guilty that he he had killed her and gotten rid of those clothes because they had blood on them or whatever. And sure enough, the next time he showed up uh, a week or two later, he's wearing new clothes. So in her mind, that that automatically made her think he might be involved. Now, there were, didn't he supposedly... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Write some sort of paper about disguising your handwriting or... Something like along those lines, am I mistaken about that? Or Yeah, it came to light that he had written a report on uh, writing um, in different styles, um, mm. which obviously would, would be something that would be appealing to somebody like Zodiac that's trying to, you know, maybe disguise their handwriting a little bit. Um, he had wrote, you know, written uh, creepy poems, uh, which is perfect description of the the desk that was found uh, in the RCC library. And you should um, mention that that creepy poem referred to killing a woman. Yeah, it was uh, a morbid uh, poem that, you know, some people say it sounds like a suicide note, uh, you yeah. know, a, yeah. a cry for help from, for a suicide attempt. I don't believe that at all. I think it's some warped individual that was just doodling while he's supposed to be doing something else, and he was doodling on a desk. Um, and, you know, I don't think he intended it to be found, um, the way it was found and the location that it was found. And I think it was just pure luck that it was found. Uh, but nonetheless, it, it definitely was a creepy poem. That's the kind of stuff that Ross, uh, had freaked out the library staff, staff with. Um, and, and so that was, that's what in my mind initially, you know, made me go back and look at him as a suspect because 
um, out of everybody that's ever been mentioned in the Zodiac case, that was the only person I could ever find that I knew for a fact had been in that library. And that's what made me go back and, and dig into him as a suspect. Now, the description of him, he, he looks like the composite sketch. Um, and we talked about this earlier that he seems like he's a little bigger than some of the descriptions of the Zodiac, but that in some ways might be the result of their the angle they were looking at him. Some people were looking at him from a seated position in a car. Some people were looking at him from a second story window looking down. Um, but he matches on several points. What, what are the, what are, what would you say are the top three things that make you think he was the Zodiac besides being in the library that night and the connection to the, the writings? Well, again, I, I, I shouldn't say that night, by the way. He was, we don't have any evidence. He was yeah. He just said he was in that library on a yeah. pretty regular basis. Yeah. Um, well, there's a couple different things. So um, we know that Ross transferred in mid-67 uh, to Santa Cruz. It said so in, in the letter that the librarian wrote. Mm -hmm. And that's the last time a, a Bates case letter was mailed, was mid-67. Um that's one reason to suspect that he could be him. Um, also, just the, the likeness to the sketch, um, hairline, lips, glasses, uh, facial structure, you know, it's just, you know, a lot of people say, oh, every guy with a crew cut looked like that. And that's just not true. <laughs> you know, some people had malpattern baldness or had a crew cut. Uh, you know, they didn't match... Uh, the sketch uh, from so many different points. Um, so to me, in my mind, if it's not Ross, I'll take somebody that looks just like Ross that was also in that library. And to me, that the likelihood of Ross having a twin that was in that library uh, is, is pretty uh, slim, the chances of that. So in my mind, um, if we believe Zodiac was in that library and we believe he looked like he looked in that sketch, uh, in my mind, he's the best suspect because he's the only one we can link inside that library and he just happens to look identical to the sketch. Um, and it, it turned out that he knew Sherry. Uh, his brother uh, wound up marrying Sherry Joe's best friend, Bonnie. Um, so they had a connection there. He knew Sherry on, on whatever level it was. Um, you know, so we have a connection to her. Um so when you take all that and combine it, I, I just think it's, you know, it, it's pretty powerful. But again, we have, you know, we know he's in that library. We know he looks uh, like the Zodiac sketch. Um, we know he moved north uh, at a certain point that the Bates case letter stopped. Um, but the problem is we just don't have that, that middle part. We don't have the, uh, you know, he's living in Vallejo and we can prove that. You know, we don't have him living in Napa or uh, we, we have reports that, you know, people saw him in San Francisco, but I don't have anything solid to say that for sure. So those are the kind of things that sort of hold me up from, in, in my mind, just saying he was Zodiac. Um, but until somebody comes forward with another person that can be put in that library, um, you know, that looks like the sketch, you know, I have to you know, rest with him being the best suspect in my mind. Well, and you mentioned his brother. Um, 
his brother is apparently reluctant to talk about this, but he had an opinion on this, right? Yeah, so, you know, he had two brothers. The, the one passed away from cancer um, back in the, I want to say the 80s. Um, and he, his brother, that brother was Tim. And Tim told uh, a friend that he said, I'm convinced, or I don't know the exact wording, but he said, I, I, I believe my brother's the Zodiac. Um, and at the time, he didn't elaborate on it. Uh, and then he wound up moving to Canada and passed away. Mm -hmm. um, so we don't know why he thought that. Now, his other brother, John, um, had been living out of state going to college during the Zodiac crimes. And he came back in, I want to say, 76 or so. Um, by then, Zodiac hadn't written in a couple years. He's actually the one that discovered uh, Ross's body. Uh, by this point, Ross had presumably... Uh, mentally, he had just gone too far uh, to where he couldn't take care of himself. Uh, his mental uh, capacity was just uh, was gone, and he was too far in, into schizophrenia to, to take care of himself. And he's the one that actually found Ross's body uh, at the living facility where he had been living uh, since 1974. And so, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and answer your question, uh, he's the one that, that is alive, you know, his other brother's gone, so he's the one that's alive that can, you know, could say, hey, I, I'd gladly give my DNA, uh, you know, let's, you know, I'm tired of hearing this, my brother's name being mentioned as a Zodiac suspect, what I have to do to clear it. His response is simply, oh, you guys are crazy, uh, you know, and when he even said, he even called his other brother, Tim, that believed that Ross was Zodiac, called him crazy, said he was crazy too. Um, so rather than want to step forward and say, hey, I'll provide my DNA, let's clear his name, he just brushes it off and says, you, you are crazy and I don't want anything to do with this. Well, uh, and that's also the reason that becomes pertinent is because Ross Sullivan was cremated. Exactly. So, you know, short of his brother not giving uh, DNA, um, we can we can hope for a good match that goes into Jet Match and, and find out, you know, if there's a relative that comes back closely linked to that family, um, then we, we would know if, if if it's likely Ross that was Zodiac. Or if it's not, we would know it wasn't. You know, that's, it can be used to exclude people, too. Um, so that's why that DNA sample, if it's if it's can be developed and put into GEDmatch into that database, it'll be very important to to going uh, a long ways to seeing who can be ruled out as Zodiac and who might be a viable suspect. Well, and that's you're for the benefit of the listeners. You're talking about recent efforts to get DNA from Zodiac communications that can be put into genealogy databases and forensic genealogy can be used to hopefully track down the killer through his relatives. Yeah, and we've since... Sorry, go ahead, Mike. No, I was just going to say, you know, on your point, that's something we've seen over the last several months used time and time again. Almost every week it seems like there's a new case being, being uh, solved. Well, that's an interesting point, too, because, forgive me if I'm getting this name wrong, but was uh, Betsy Arzma, is that her name? Mm -hmm. The uh, girl who was murdered in a library or in a, in a church, um, that case had been uh, talked about as a, wait, wait, I'm getting this wrong. It's not, 
It's Arliss Perry. The Arliss Perry. Yeah, Arliss yeah. Perry was the one that was, she was killed in a church. And that case had always been uh, discussed as a possible early uh, crime of the same cult that's been blamed for the Son of Sam murders. And also for the Zodiac murders. People believe that the same cult was responsible for the Zodiac and Son of Sam murders. And that one of the earliest victims was Arliss Perry. And so it's be very it's very telling that that when that case was solved through the use of i believe dna um the individual that was identified obviously had nothing to do with any of that as far as we know um it just turned out to wasn't it the security guard who found her or something like that yeah he was the original security guard that had found her body and he was a suspect early on yeah um the interesting thing is they had tested his dna previously um and it didn't match um, which, for whatever reason, they stuck with it, and they used some other technologies that came along recently, and they haven't said that that it was the GEDmatch database. Yeah. Uh, as far as I know, I think they've been pretty tight-lipped about what they did, yeah. but they did use some new DNA method to go back to him and confirm that he was the right guy. Um, and he apparently, his response... <laughs> Yeah, didn't leave a lot of doubt. He killed himself. If I remember. Yeah, when they knocked on his door, he shot himself. So um, they, it seems like they definitely got the right guy. Well, that's that's why I think it's interesting because you know I you've made it clear, and I believe the same. I feel the same way myself that you know we all have theories about what happened in Riverside and who may have been responsible and whether Zodiac was involved. But at the end of the day, I just want to know what happened. I just want to know who did it and for it to be solved. So. If they can use that DNA with forensic genealogy to determine that it was Ross Sullivan or it wasn't Ross Sullivan or whether or not Zodiac was actually connected to that case at all, that's really just what we're looking for. None of us really have any uh, theories that we're married to and are unwilling to let go of. I mean, I know you think Ross Sullivan is a great suspect, but if the DNA came up for somebody else, I'm sure you would accept that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the DNA, if, if they track the DNA to a suspect the way they've done with the Golden State Killer uh, and other killers, um, it, it's not going to be a question of if, uh, you know, there won't be any lingering doubts. They'll, they'll know for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and that takes it a step further because now whether or not Sherry was killed by the, the Zodiac, you know, we know they have DNA evidence in her, in her case. Um, the question is, can they use that DNA they have in the base case to put that into the database and find out who killed her, uh, whether it's Zodiac or not? Uh, that should be able to be tried and linked to a suspect. Um, you know, so that's a, another shoe waiting to drop to see if, if that's done. Well, and I think, too, it's, it's going to be a, a, a difficult situation because in the Golden State Killer case, they were using... Uh, semen left behind by the killer. So there's no logical explanation for why your semen was at the scene of a murder. Um, it's not like that's something that's going to happen accidentally. Um, with the Zodiac case, you're talking about DNA taken mostly from stamps or envelopes in the Zodiac case. And people have talked about, you know, maybe the Zodiacs had somebody licking stamps for him or whatever, uh, or maybe there's more than one person involved. So even getting some DNA in that case might not answer all the questions. It might point you in the right direction. Um, hopefully it would solve the case in one way or another. But in the Bates case, you're talking about hair 
and tissue found in the victim's hand. Yeah. And it appears to be, as from everything that I've read, the Riverside Police Department strongly believed that that was left by the killer during the struggle or during some interaction with the victim. So it's going to be very difficult for anybody to explain away how their hair was found in the victim's hand. Um, yeah. Unless you're going to say, you know, I was walking by there and brushed my hair a week earlier and she fell down and just happened to touch my hair laying on the ground. Even that's not very plausible. So if they can match that DNA to somebody, that should be the, that should tell you who did it. Yeah, and that, and at the very least, it, it would give them the right trail to go down to, to say, who does this hair belong to? They find that person, then they can do good old-fashioned police work and maybe rule him out by some other way or say, hey, this guy was originally on our short list of suspects, you know, and now we've got his hair. Um, so there's a couple of different ways they can explore that and hopefully um, lead to to somebody. And and there's also, you can't forget there was a wristwatch left at the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on how that was preserved, uh, they might be able to get touch DNA or some other kind of new DNA technology that, that wasn't available earlier. They may be able to get that uh, DNA off of there. There's there's a new technology called MBAC. Uh, and I don't know if you're familiar with that. but they Yeah, that's what they used on the History Channel show. Exactly. So the MVAC system might be something that could be at play where they, they'll vacuum that watch and, and collect any kind of DNA or do touch DNA, uh, whatever they can do. There may be a DNA on that watch um, that could lead to somebody. They think that definitely belonged to the killer and it came off in the struggle. Uh, yeah, for the listeners, that was found near the body with the wristband torn, apparently, or broken. Exactly. So that's if they could... Do, discover DNA on that and put that into a database, that would be, uh, you know, it would be hard to explain away somebody uh, losing that wristwatch broken like that at the scene. Well, that also raises another interesting question, though. What happens when you have a suspect whose DNA doesn't match that DNA? So you have the, the Riverside suspect, his DNA didn't match what they had found previously. And I wouldn't be surprised if it turned out that his DNA didn't match the DNA on the watch. So at what point do you accept that the person you're, that you suspect is not the killer? Um, if someone's DNA doesn't match the DNA of the hair in that hand, then you have to explain how that hair got there and why it doesn't belong to the killer. And I know that <clears throat> according to, according to some stories, the, person who the Riverside police have suspected for years was implicated by an individual who claimed that he had ran into the person that night and he said, oh, I I left my watch somewhere or, or I have to go back somewhere to find something. And this person drove the suspect back to the crime scene and the two of them looked for his watch at the crime scene. And now... I don't know how you could look around that area for the watch and not see the dead body lying there. Um, but it's because of that, people have brought up the idea that maybe that person was lying and the person, the suspect had nothing to do with it. Maybe the person was involved in the crime themselves. So if the DNA doesn't match that suspect, is Riverside police willing to admit that it's not him because then you have to explain how someone else's hair got into the hands of the victims. 
Or are they entertaining the idea that maybe two people were involved and that could explain why the DNA doesn't match one of them? Yeah, I, I can't comment on Riverside, the Riverside Police Department's handling of this case. I mean, uh, I think you and I both know that it leaves something to be desired um, right from the beginning. Um, and you, you'd have to ask Riverside that question. If, if no evidence at all points to your suspect, you know, if there's a cigarette butt that doesn't match DNA-wise, if there's a watch that doesn't match DNA-wise, and there's a hair that doesn't match DNA-wise, how long do you go on believing this is the guy? It's been 50, 52 years. Uh, it's coming up on. So uh, at what point do you say this wasn't the guy? Um, and when do you just say, let's do, let's put this DNA in there and see where it actually leads us instead of assuming it's this guy? Um, let's put that DNA in there and see if we can find out who owns it. Um, and then we can go to that person if they're still alive and question them the old fashioned way and, and see if we can catch the killer that way. Yeah. Cause you know, DNA, like I said before, can be the great equalizer in a lot of cases in, in the golden state killer. When the, the police went to Joseph D James D'Angelo and said, you know, whatever they said, we're arresting you for murder and everything. Apparently, his response, his only response at the time was, uh, well, I have a roast in the oven. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, I didn't do it, you know, whatever. It's just like with the BTK Strangler when they he tried to pretend that he was innocent until they informed him they had DNA evidence. Then he's like, okay, well, it's me. Um, mm -hmm. So when it comes to this case, you know, the fact that they have a suspect, the DNA doesn't match him. That means that you have to have a logical scenario in which that DNA could belong to someone other than the killer. And I don't see how that's likely. I guess it's possible, but I don't see how it's likely. And if they get further DNA and it doesn't match that person, at what point, because I think what you were referring to, my criticisms, you know, don't get me wrong, I think the people at the Riverside Police Department are, are good people and they want to do a good job, and I'm sure they want this case to be solved. It may just be an issue of a certain... Um, unwillingness to look at other theories, but I don't care who it turns out to be. I, I've been critical of them largely because they just don't seem to want to entertain the idea that Zodiac was involved, whether he just wrote the letters or, or whatever. But it would seem to me that after however many decades of accusing a specific individual and time and time again, the evidence does not appear to implicate him. At that point, you need to turn to an alternative scenario and the best alternative scenario right now is the zodiac after all he's the only person we know of who took responsibility for the crime right i mean um yeah. now maybe he was lying when he did that but at the same time i think we need to know the answer to that question so i would hope that you know they take whatever dna they have and pursue it by any means possible and whether there is any uh, chance of comparing it with Zodiac DNA, I would hope that that's been done. Um, there's been some stories that it's been done already um, and didn't match. Uh, I don't have any verification for that. But there's, there's so much controversy around it that it often seems like it's a hot potato no one really wants to touch. And I, I don't want to believe, I don't believe, that the Riverside Police Department don't want this case solved and they're obstructing or whatever, because as we know, when the History Channel did their uh, series last year, 
the Riverside police uh, invited them in and allowed them access to some of their evidence, which was unheard of in previous years. Um, so that demonstrates a certain willingness to explore other ideas. So I hope that I hope that they're willing to explore that to its logical conclusion. And that brings me to Ross Sullivan, that what efforts do you know of were made to investigate Ross Sullivan as a suspect in the Riverside case? And then there's some indication that Ross Sullivan's fingerprints were compared to Zodiac fingerprints that didn't match. So what, what do you have to add to that? So as far as Ross originally being, you know, a suspect in Sherry's murder, you know, the library staff said, this is the guy we think did it. Um, and, you know, he supposedly had an alibi. That's what stated. I haven't seen his name in a police report that says he's ruled out by an alibi, but that's that's the reported way he was ruled out. And it didn't um, say what the alibi was. Yeah, it didn't. I, I, I have to go back and look. It's, it's been so long since I looked at it. It's possible that it was a... Uh, uh, a girl that he was staying with, he was, I think, running a, a room from her, or she was letting him live in, in her house. Mm-hmm. Um, that may have been the, the source of the alibi. Um, but one way or another, he supposedly had an alibi. So, uh, as far as the actual murder of Sherry. Um, but, you know, again, this is it, how fully was that investigated? How fully was that researched? Um, you know, if they had blinders on and they were convinced it was uh, their their pet suspect, did they go through the proper channels to rule Ross out and verify his his alibi? Um, and then to answer your question about the uh, uh, Ross being linked to Zodiac and being investigated, you know, a reporter Dave Peterson, who was the the one that originally got the word that. Um, Ross was suspected by the uh, the library staff in Riverside. Um, he sort of got interested in Ross as a suspect after talking to them, and he reached out to Dave Tosca at SFPD and said, um, can you check out this Ross Sullivan? Can you, can you check out his uh, prints? Um, and, you know, what we saw when we finally saw some of this material released there was a, a response uh, that said, you know, I don't have it right in front of me, but I think it said uh, Ross's prints were checked without success, I think is the, the way it was worded. Yeah. So I, I initially took that to mean they didn't match, but then I thought about it. I was like, they, it doesn't say it didn't match. It said they were checked without success. Does that mean they couldn't get them? You know, so it was a little bit vague. Um so that left open a possibility that, you know, maybe they just couldn't get them. Maybe he couldn't check them. Um, and then, you know, I'm not one of those people that, you know, second guess the evidence and, and think, you know, like the print on Paul Stein's cab is somebody else's. Um, I think it most likely belonged to Zodiac. So, and if it was actually Zodiac's and it was compared to Ross's and we knew that for sure, you know, I could say, okay, it's not him. But the way that that memo was uh, worded leaves a little bit of doubt in my mind. Um, yeah, it's, it's confusing because it's a vague way of describing what should be something very simple. Yeah. And 
I also, if I correct me if I'm wrong about this, but when I remember looking at some of that stuff, it almost seemed to me like maybe they weren't sure they were talking about the right Ross Sullivan. Uh, you know, I, I'd have to go back and look because it's it's been so long and, and there's a lot of stuff breaking at the time. Again, uh, thank you very much for a great conversation on Zodiac. Thanks, well, I appreciate you, have, appreciate you having me on. I'd be glad to do it again sometime. Thanks, Mike. To find out more about our show, guests, or listen to a previous show, visit our website at www.somethingweirdmedia.com. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you! If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.